This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 283 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and this week we will talk about post-mortem animal cruelty, geoblocking, dry grass, Pete Buttigieg and Five Guys. And to discuss all that and more, join me, Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. Hello, Stefan. Have you had any Five Guys lately? Yes, I actually did. It was uh, quite greasy but still tasty. Did you? Uh, Smash Burger recently, not Five Guys. Five Guys is a little bit too expensive for me at times. <laughs> yeah, well, my my wife paid, so. <laughs> anyway, also here, Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing tonight? Um, fine. Thanks for having me again. You are very welcome. And also here, last but not least, Lars Polman. Hello, Lars. Yeah, speaking of greasy or what? <laughs> I don't know, Lars. I, I, I haven't seen you, but uh, how's the temperature in Bonn? Uh, boiling. That would parallel the temperature in Philadelphia right now. Anyway, we have lots to talk about since our Yellow World Pot Season Awards. Uh, first thing is that uh, Abdul Diallo left Borussia Dortmund after Mats Hummels arrived. He joined PSG for 32 million. And uh, Trevor Phillips asks, will the departure of Diallo hit us on the long run and what are your assessment of our preseason performances? So before we come to the preseason performances, um, Lars, do you think that indeed Diallo leaving Dortmund will have a ne negative effect on, in the long term? I mean, that probably depends on how you would define long term. I mean, uh, with Diallo, maybe more so than Akanji, for example, maybe Diallo would have been at Dortmund for the next three or four seasons as opposed to maybe one or two more seasons. So I would assume that by 2022 or whatever, he's probably going to be a better centre-back than Mats Hummels. But uh, right now he isn't. Uh, and, and seeing as Dortmund have really gone all in for next season, uh, I think the the moves that almost everybody kind of puts together being the return of Hummels and Diallo leaving. I think that that trade, if you like, makes sense for Dortmund, at least in the short term. And that's what they're focused on right now. So uh, I think they're fine with it. But obviously, uh, when you sign a... 22-year-old defender for 28 or so million, uh, you don't expect him to leave after one season. And if he were to leave, it's probably because he's, you know, uh, gained so much value on the transfer market that you get an offer you can't refuse, which really wasn't the case necessarily. I mean, 32 million is a nice sum of money from uh, PSG, but uh, it's not like they would have let him go without signing uh, Hummels previously. So uh, it, 
all in all, I think this was kind of a misunderstanding almost. Uh, I, I, I would say that Diallo didn't necessarily disappoint last season, but seeing as Favre was so intent on playing him outside uh, his comfort zone at the left back position, uh, I kind of get why Diallo probably got a bit frustrated. And then when Hummel signed, uh, the, the writing was on the wall for him as a starting center back for this team. So from his perspective, it, it makes the most sense, I would say. Yes. Um, however, from Dortmund's perspective, now the uh, backups to Akanji and Hummels are Toprak, Zagadou and Balerdi. Matthias, do you think that uh, Dortmund, as they are betting everything on, on one card, if you want, or at least trying to win the Bundesliga this season, do you think it would have been smarter just to force Diallo to stay on, uh, even against his own wishes? No, I mean, uh, we've had some experiences with players staying or feeling like they're staying at Dortmund, even though they really don't want to. Uh, and that really hasn't gone well, also in terms of team chemistry. I think they also look at Zagadou and Balerdi and look at it as uh, banking on them coming good in the next year or two. And if one or wouldn't it be nice both um come good in that time frame well then this was actually a brilliant move um you you made a little bit of extra money which obviously with the money that's that's in the bank and stuff like that that's not that huge of a concern but it always looks nice when you can make a positive given that uh, they are totally going to take it in the pants when it comes to Andre Schüler pretty soon yeah. um so i you know i'll be honest i'm not It's when I saw it happen, I was kind of like, mm, okay, yeah, kind of. I, I could see it making sense for all parties. It wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't annoyed by it or angry or frustrated, like some people said. I think Hummels is better in the air. I think Zagadou can be better in the air when he jumps. And Balerdi, <laughs> if, and I think Balerdi, um, who I actually think is very, very good. Um, could be a better, probably all-round central defender than Diallo, but Diallo obviously has the advantage that he can also play at left back if things need be. Uh, so there's a little bit of tactical flexibility gone, but I, I'm okay with it. I don't have a massive issue with it right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I think overall, after Diallo's first th season, I personally expected a little bit more of him, but... Uh It doesn't matter now. So, um, yeah, I guess we can move on. Um, Konstantin, uh, Matteo Morey joined, uh, Borussia Dortmund from, uh, Barcelona's under 19. Um, I think he wanted to join Barcelona's, uh, first team right away. But, uh, if you want to go from the under 19 to Barcelona, you have to play for the second team first. And uh, he didn't want to do that step, um, because he, I think, missed almost an entire year because of a torn meniscus and then a ligament rupture all in his left knee and uh, now basically being fully recovered joined Dortmund on a free transfer uh, I saw you wrote a whole piece on uh, the right back so um, what is your assessment of, of this transfer actually I didn't so I guess you <laughs> didn't read the article uh, no, only I the headline uh, as I, no, as I, I said I, I, of, of uh, Off record, that uh, I only saw the off air. headline. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I wrote about the uh, a couple of, of players who will surprise many 
a couple of players who have been signed by several Bundesliga teams who will surprise many uh, next season, uh, including uh, Schlager from from Wolfsburg and uh, Morey from uh, from yeah Borussia Dortmund. So I guess yeah, <laughs> I, I I I guess he will be one of one of the surprises. Why? I'm pretty confident in his abilities um, as a right back and even as a left back because it has a pretty decent left foot. So there's there's even the option to um, occasionally uh, put him there, but uh, usually he will play on the right side. I yes, he has a he had a wasted year uh, because of two injuries, because of um, some disagreements with uh, the Barcelona front office. Um, but still, the uh, Barcelona wanted to keep him. They offered him, they made him a pretty decent offer in I think January or February but at that point Borussia Dortmund has, have, had already been in touch with him for a couple of months because first contact between both sides uh, came in October last year um, so Dortmund was really fond about signing him and getting him um, and that's why after all he made the decision to go to uh, to Dortmund instead of you know, staying at Barcelona it was one big f- big factor was that uh, Dortmund will was really into him or is still into him uh why because he offers something Lucas Piszczek or Hakimi don't uh which is that um he's not only like a up and down runner but also someone who's pretty agile and who can um slip slip out of pressing um attacks because he's so agile, because he has great ball handling, uh, pretty pretty much uh, something that uh, Joshua Kimmich does at Bayern. Uh, when because usually these days uh, build-ups are played through the fullbacks, you know it's pretty pretty go-to move for many centre backs to play just wide, um, and then ma- many many fullbacks are trapped, um, you know 30, 40 yards uh, in front of the the goal. So, um, but Moray is someone uh, among a few fullbacks who can really escape these pressing attacks and who, who can, you know, go, go in, into the middle and, uh, create space for, or create opportunities. And that's why I think he will be an asset, uh, this season. Um, if he's, I think early, early preseason matches have shown that, um, Despite him being out for a year, he has he's still athletically and and so he I think he's he's ready and there's, there's there shouldn't be any concern about his his body um, unless of course there are new uh, knee issues arising. But I guess I mean a torn meniscus for instance is not that big of a, I mean it, it puts you out for a while, but it's not that big of a deal actually um, in terms of like the function of the knee. And I don't know about the other issue because I only, uh, only read that uh, he had the torn ligament. That can mean anything and everything. I don't, I don't think it was an ACL tear um, because otherwise he would have been, he would still be out actually. So I guess maybe an MCL, maybe just, just a minor tear. So um, I guess there should be any major concerns about his knee. So yeah, that's that's why I think, I mean, uh, also considering that, that uh, Piszczek's, you know, on the basically on the wrong side of 30 for for F have been for a while now and he's pushing 35 I guess um and also Hakimi who sometimes lacks lacks discipline in terms of tactics and uh just movement and and especially in terms of backtracking and and defending um in in situations when the team is really high up the pitch um I guess uh, Moray is someone who will pick up playing time and who will surprise a couple of people uh, even even Dortmund fans I guess because uh, many don't consider him a uh, starting 11 option but i i think he will be one yeah in- interesting uh, what i find interesting about uh, him is that he 
played, I think, until he was 14 as an attacking midfielder or central midfielder. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, uh, then was converted to a right back when he uh, joins Barcelona's youth team. Usually these things happen at, uh, I, I think, a bit more advanced age, uh, as uh, you know we've seen with Pischek and also with Marius Wolf. Uh, obviously, on, on the youth level, it happens quite often, but when it comes to Dortmund fullbacks, um, it usually happens a bit later in the career. Also, Eric Durm, I think, was uh, in his 20s already or, or 19 or so when he was converted to, to a fullback. So, um, yeah, interesting that he, um, was basically taught, uh, you know, a different position, which probably, as, as you just mentioned, helps him to be a bit more than just uh, a guy that runs up and down the line. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, quite excited about him, especially because he was a, uh, um, free transfer and as you mentioned uh, once again Dortmund showing um, one of their greatest skills in hiring and acquiring young players is that they just uh, announce themselves very early uh, than than other teams and I always wondered if they can keep that up uh, was certainly the case with uh, Jaden Sancho and Usman Dembele so uh, let's see if Dortmund can continue that um, anyway, I think it's it's time to talk a little bit about the uh, US tour so far. And uh, as I already teased, uh, post-mortem animal cruelty and, and geoblocking, uh, let's uh, briefly talk about the uh, Seattle game. Matthias, though, before we do that, uh, what the hell is this uh, whole fish-throwing thing that Roman Bürki and Marvin Hitz and whoever did in some fish market in Seattle? Do you have any explanation to that? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm very bewildered. <laughs> It's it's just a um, it's basically a tradition. Sp specifically, at one stand does it a lot uh, in the Seattle fish market. The exact origins, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure of. Um, probably some listener from Seattle is is yelling at this podcast right now, uh, explaining what it is. If you do know what it is, how about you just send us a tweet and let us know uh, the exact origin, even though. We could probably Google it, but I'll be honest, I don't care enough to Google it. Um, but uh, I, all I know is it's a thing there. It's been going on there as long as I've, a bit, I've been alive, and we established before the podcast that that's been a very long time. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's odd, but it's a, it's a thing there. It's a tourist attraction. Matthias, then also next question. Why is it a good idea by the MLS to just show this game on Joe TV or whatever it's called, which was basically just for the Seattle cable region and then on YouTube TV and basically cut out the entire national audience for what is basically an international tie? I don't have an explanation. I think it's thoroughly idiotic uh, because, A, it could have exposed a broader audience to the MLS and the Seattle Sounders and, of course, uh, a broader U.S. market to Borussia Dortmund. So I think overall that was a huge flop, a huge business and marketing bust. Um, so honest, aside from the time on the field and playing – It really wasn't worth that disruption in time zone. They may as well have played another friendly in Germany uh, and then gone over to play Liverpool and called it a day. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that was kind of a huge missed opportunity there from all sides. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. Uh, Lars, do you have any takeaways from that game if you managed to see it? Uh, the Seattle game? Yes. 
When when was I that? Mean, That's like a week <laughs> ago. Uh, I'm over 30 now. I don't remember. All right. Maybe more broader terms. Do you have any uh, takeaways you want to share about maybe both games? Well, first of all, Dortmund apparently made uh, more than 5 million quid for making this one-week trip to the US. So that's why they are still doing it, even though there is a disruptive effect on preseason. But I mean, their first uh, official game of the season, which is the Super Cup, which is barely official, uh, that's more than 10 days away, I think. So it's not, not a huge deal to uh, spend a week in the United States uh, in the middle of July for Dortmund season, it won't have any real adverse effects and, and 5 million is 5 million. So uh, in, in, in that, in that sense, it, I understand why they, they keep doing it. And, and for me personally, I think I like it better than going to, you know, Japan or Singapore or whatever these, these ICC games where Dortmund un not a part of this season, uh, the International Champions Cup. Um, I, I think I like them doing their own thing, if we want to call it that, a bit more. And on on the sport sporting side, um, I don't think we should take too many things away from these friendlies. Uh, it's the same for every preseason game, Dortmund and the other team usually. I mean, Seattle, a bit of a special case because they are in the middle of their campaign. But typically in preseason games, both teams couldn't give less of a shit about the game and, you know, come straight out of training. Uh, so there's no game planning involved. There are tired legs everywhere. I think the game, especially in, in South Bend, was incredibly hot on that day. And the, the, the pitch uh, in at Notre Dame University was was really dry. So uh, that that didn't lend itself to uh, a great game, I would say, and it certainly wasn't against Liverpool. So just generally, I think the the biggest takeaway is no injuries uh, that we know of. A couple of knocks for uh, Zagadou, for example. I think Russia maybe picked something up in training. And then just, you know, a couple of players looking bright early on. Uh, Marius Wolf, Jakob Rümlasen, uh, Morey, whom we've talked about uh, briefly just a minute ago. Uh, who else? Toprak looked really good. So I, I, I tend, uh, try not to take too much away from these games, but as, as most people, I kind of get sucked into them just because there's nothing else to talk about. So, uh, for example, to me, Leonardo Balerdi looked quite awful against Seattle, but quite good against Liverpool. So is that just something that happens to a, how old is he, 19 or 20-year-old kid during his first real preseason with Dortmund? Or is he that kind of player? We don't know yet. So uh, we, we won't know at the end of this preseason campaign. So uh, as I said, I try not to take too many things away from it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that uh, overall is the is the heaviest approach, but obviously on the yellow part we still have to uh, address a couple of things. Uh, Lars, I really liked. Uh, I don't know if you coined the phrase or just reuse it, but uh, Jakob Brunlassen uh, aiming for the preseason Ballon d'Or, <laughs> something that I really appreciated because I I think it's true. Uh, someone had to take that baton of Gonzalo Castro, who usually. Uh, excelled in preseason and then as soon as the regular season started he was hardly to be found anywhere um but yeah very very nice uh phrasing 
Um, Konstantin, I would also be amiss if I would not uh, single out Gio Reyna, who uh, is obviously of American descent. Uh, any thoughts on his performances so far? Um, no, not really. Um, just looked uh, above okayish, I guess, uh, against Liverpool. Um, but nothing really to to really write about. Uh, or to to um, I mean that there always there are some of the younger players um, during these preseason matches who stand out a bit. Um, but if that you know counts as uh, him getting much playing time and uh, during season i don't really see that um with him right now maybe but i think give him one more year or so and take things slowly especially with how crowded the attacking department right now is and even if a, a few players will still leave i don't really see um that there is there's really uh space for him you know there's there, there's really a spot for him to pick up especially when now now wolf is also doing quite well for himself so he will get a Basically, not a second chance, but another chance uh, next season, I guess. Um, so that takes away um, another spot uh, in terms of the two winger positions. Um, so yeah, but uh, he looked he looked pretty good, um, pretty energetic. Um, nothing new, basically, just what he did uh, playing in the US. Um, so we will see. I I hope he will be a successful project after all. I mean, there are a few other young players right now um, in contention to be f not failures, but um, to be you know, disappointments after all. And I, didn't, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't always pin it onto players, uh, but someone like Sergio Gomez also came with uh, some credentials and um, a lot of hope. Um, and right now, I don't really, he's nowhere to be found, actually. And, yeah, speak and speaking of young and speaking of young players, why are we all recording? Ingolstadt is winning the Monday night match in the, in the third division thanks to two own goals by Marian Saar. So um, there's that. <laughs> th thanks for for uh, adding that observation to really enrich this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think it's it's noteworthy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, Olympic Marseille hero Marian Saar, who doesn't remember that game where I think Kevin Großkreuz scored the winner in stoppage time or so to keep Dortmund's uh, progress to the uh, knockout runs alive. Good times, good times. Any, anyway, um, I also thought that uh, Tobias Raschel looked uh, quite good in the, <laughs> in the game against Schweinberg, uh, which obviously is a lot to take away from and uh, Seattle, but then he didn't play against Liverpool. So um, who knows? But um, I mean, he is uh, the uh, team captain of the Dortmund under-19 team, team that just won the uh, Bundesliga championship. And uh, I think it's not too much of a surprise that uh, he can then show a couple of uh, positive impressions with the first team during a preseason. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to see someone uh, yeah, so comfortable on, on the ball that early on. Um, it actually reminded me a little bit of, of Julian Weigel. I, I think last you also wrote a similar piece for Fußball.news about that, but uh, also we should not get ahead of ourselves there. So um, there's that. Matthias, any other things, observations you want to share about the US tour in general or... Uh, I don't know. I, I think we need to we need to knock Pete Buttigieg a little bit, who is a presidential candidate in the United States, but apparently can't even uh, make a pitch wet enough in the 
in the United States for, for a regular football game. I, I thought that was quite disappointing. Yeah, I mean, as a Notre Dame guy, uh, it was, uh, even though it was nice to see Dortmund and Liverpool in South Bend, uh, that wasn't exactly um comforting knowing that the college football season starts in about six weeks so hopefully <laughs> hopefully they'll get uh everything kind of figured out by then but no i've got no other observations to say other than i wish there would have been i don't know i i feel like there were a lot of opportunities lost uh as far as Dalton's presence in the u.s market that could have been explored a little bit more i think a different market other than Seattle would have been good. Honestly, I think Kansas City would have been a better choice, personally. Also, when it comes to time time differences and travel, Kansas City and South Bend. Shout out to the Brunstadt uh, BVB. Exactly. Exactly. Or right here, Denver. Um, huge German community. Unfortunately, a lot of Bayern fans, but uh, uh, I still remember the Champions League final watching it here, and there were a lot of Dortmund supporters. So, uh, Denver, you can also fly directly to Germany with Lufthansa. So, um, anyway, but no, other than that, no observations. It's preseason friendly. Um, you know, I think Bayern pretty much explained it. If you lose, a preseason friendly doesn't matter. If you win, it's fantastic. So, uh, we'll kind of move on from there. Yeah. All right. Um, then I think we, we should move on a little bit. Um, Constantine, I actually had a, had a question for you um, because you posted a Twitter thread and I, I was thinking about the butterfly effect of uh, Mats Hummels uh, rotating into that team. How does it uh, actually redefine the roles of central midfielders like, for example, Delaney, Witzel, or uh, does it raise the stock of, of Julian Weigel again because of... Uh, his build-up prowess. Yeah, so, so the point I was making is that uh, with Mats Hummels back um, and playing as the left-sided centre-back, at, at least when he's playing next to Akanji. I mean, Azaradu is a left footer, so I don't know how that will work out because Hummels usually plays on the left side. Uh, but let's say he, he's playing, you know, he, of course he is basically the the chief of defense, um, and he will play on the left side. That, that means that, uh, he will play a lot of, or he will try to play these, um, balls, um, over to the right side, these long balls, as, you know, with, with Piszczek or Moray or Hakimi advancing, Sancho getting in, uh, into the middle. So you will try these, these long balls to the right side, um, which is also a feature that we've seen last season, preseason, and then in, in some matches, uh, when Dortmund wasn't pressing too much and wasn't like standing in the final third with uh, 10 or 9 or 10 players uh, but when it's a little bit more open and spacey um, and that so that means that um, the, the center midfield on the, on the right side the right side at center midfield um, could also be an asset for playing those those balls to the left side uh, especially with Schulz who apparently is a machine running down the field um you know picking up these or being the receiver picking up these these long long passes um so uh, i think what's what's happening right now is that Juan Weigel i mean he knows what's going on and he knows that maybe he will leave maybe he'll stay but if he if he stays he needs to set himself apart from the rest of the center midfielder so he he can't do that by just you know being um flawless basically in terms of positioning and stuff uh because there there's also Axel Witzel who's a bit a little bit of a more physical player 
Um, so he needs to add a, a few things to his game. Um, and I think he, he, what he tries to do is to be a bit more active and a bit more risk, risk taking, uh, in terms of his passing. And, and he, he tried that against Liverpool, for instance, you know, playing, playing longer passes, being, you know, being, going forward, being a bit more aggressive. Um, and so I guess that, I mean, that would be an option to play Weigel on the right side and basically, you know, Hummels is on the left. Um, Delaney, I don't know. He, he usually played, uh, especially in the Rückrunde, he played on the, on the left side and Witzel on the right. But I think you can switch that basically. And there's, there's nothing really to it. Um, and Johan Brandt usually come, uh, you know, plays through the left side. So, um, and Johan Brandt will, if he plays in center midfield, he will be in a, a little bit of more an advanced position. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, you, you get a, gets like a balance in your team. If you have like Hummels and, and, and Weigel and maybe a point a bit more advanced, you know, um, I think a lot of coaches, not all of them actually, but, but a lot of coaches like to have, have some kind of balance and to have these passing pat- patterns, uh, you know, involving both sides and not just one, because if you, then, then you are more predictable. Um, and that's also something, uh, to note when you see, uh, that Dortmund signed Schultz for the left side, um, because the left side was, was far less threatening last season. Uh, with Diallo, for instance, who's not really an attacking fullback. Um, of course, when Hakimi played and was, uh, was on top of his game, um, he was, he was an asset, but, you know, uh, he isn't always that kind of player. Um, so with Schultz coming in on the left side, you have a, you have a one strong fullback there who, who, you know, just runs, runs miles and uh, over miles. And on the, on the right side, you got Hakimi and Piszczek and Murray. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Farfa is looking for something like that. But after all, I think Witzel is still ahead of Weigel. Um, so I don't know how, how things will work out, but I think what Weigel does right now is really f- add things to his game because he wants to reclaim his spot, actually. And which is also something, I mean, look at the Rückrunde. I mean, when, when Witzel was fading physically because he was just exhausted and had to play so many matches, you needed someone else, um, to fit into that spot, uh, on the, on the right side. So, um, Weigel is there, I guess, and Weigel tries to um, showcase himself and uh, tries to, uh, you know, point out to Farfa that he's ready and uh, he can be more than just a, you know, a center back or a somewhat stable center center midfielder. Yeah, I I agree with most of your assessment, Lars. Um, I wanted to get your uh, brief opinion on Julian uh, Brandt being tried out in uh, central midfield. How did you like that? Well, I wouldn't say he was tried out. I would say that that's like his position, generally speaking. I mean, we've talked about him probably playing on the left wing in Dortmund's customary 4-2-3-1 system just because Farfoot doesn't seem like the kind of coach who would put uh, such an attacking-minded player next to presumably Witzel in most situations anyway. I mean, obviously during games, these cha- these things tend to change, but... I think with the the setups, uh, Brandt was involved in, in these two games. Obviously, Dortmund switched up quite a bit during the games. Uh, I mean, he was on the pitch in situations when Dortmund basically played four one four one or four three three. I mean, obviously the, the the borders aren't really all that clear to me. Uh, and and in in those uh, systems, he is a number ten 
uh, or a number eight, however you want to call it. So I don't think he was necessarily tested out as much as just played uh, where he's going to have most of his impact next season, I would assume. Uh, and just generally, uh, obviously, he's very new with uh, the entire team. He has a bit of ground to make up after joining late for preseason after playing for Germany uh, into early June, I think, the, the last few games of the Euro qualifiers. So uh, I don't think what we see so far is who he's going to be. And just as a really general thought, I think he's going to make the team so much better, but I don't know if he's going to pick up, uh, you know, gaudy stats or anything. So... I think he's not going to be uh, one of the main sources of goals, be it as the creator or the scorer, but he's going to make the team so much better just because of his intelligence and versatility and quality on the ball. Yeah, I actually thought he, he dropped quite deep at, at times uh, against Liverpool, but uh, yeah, it's it's really hard to make out uh, which position he, he really played. But um, I actually expected him to play... I don't know, either more on the wing or, or further up ahead under, under Favre, but uh, I don't know why, but it took me a little bit by surprise, even though maybe it shouldn't have that he played where he played. Um, Matthias, any any uh, thoughts on, on Brand from you as well, or shall we move on? No, I think everything's been said um, most expertly, so I, I, I'm very curious to see how he develops and and. From that position, it adds so much more dynamism to Dortmund's uh, play, in my opinion, that they were kind of missing last season out of central midfield. So, curious to see how it goes and and how he how he fits in long term with there. So, I've there's nothing else to add. Yeah, I mean, at the very beginning, it all looks extremely positive with Brandt, which obviously was to be expected, considering how excited we were when he was initially announced. Um, so um, something we've uh, basically talked about, or I almost mentioned every show over the uh, course of the Rückrunde or so, is uh, the contract extension or the pending contract extension of uh, Mario Götze. And he gave an interview to Bild, uh, which you can make a lot out of it or nothing at all, uh, where he uh, said that he is already in talks with Dortmund, had a couple of conversations, um, but is uh, very relaxed in the regard of his contract extension and basically said that, you know, asked whether he wants to play abroad, that, you know, he's going to enter his 10th Bundesliga season. And obviously that's always an option to play abroad. As a footballer, you can play in almost every country, he said. And the internet exploded a little bit, but um, yeah, what do we what do we make of uh, the uh, fact that Götze is is yet to extend his contract, Matthias? Well, it's a little bit annoying. Um, I think uh, he he wants to see how the season goes, how he holds up, also physically. Uh, I think Dortmund wants to see that too over a full season, because obviously he didn't have a full season last year uh, or last season. Um, you know, I'd, I'd want it to get taken care of here pretty quickly. Him saying, basically, I'm in no hurry. I don't know if that's, you know, uh, a wave with the fence post, as we would say in Germany, <laughs> to uh, other clubs. I hope not, because that would be massively disappointing given the, uh, honestly, 
quite big risk and support Dortmund have given him, given his uh, track record and leaving Dortmund, his behavior and then health issues. So I'm still I'm still optimistic that things will get taken care of. And it may just be um, a negotiating tactic. Who knows? Yeah, Lars, do you think this is primarily primarily about the money? Because I think Götze right now is earning about 7 million per annum, plus, I guess, bonuses or whatever. And uh, he's, what, 27 years old now, wants probably get a raise. And uh, I can see why Michael Sorg at this current moment would be reluctant to give him or, or make him a top earner of, of the team. Uh, I don't know where you got that number from, but... I can Google <laughs> pretty much assure you that maybe it's maybe it's after taxes, but I can assure you that Mario Götze is on more than seven million per year. Well, I've also read ten, but I always go with the more conservative. Yeah, but first. ten is still wrong. So uh, you think it's more? Yes. All right. Definitely more, and that's. I mean, I don't know if it's uh, Götze's primary. Uh, if if that's his main <laughs> issue. Difficult word. Yeah, I mean, I I only have the wrong version in my head now. Um, <laughs> yeah, blame it all on me. It's fine. I, I don't know if that's really his main focus at the moment, or uh, if he just really wants to take a, a wait and see approach. I mean, at the end of the campaign, he's going to be 28 years old, and as he said, he's going into his 10th season in the Bundesliga. So we would assume that, given also his previous health concerns, he's probably not a player who's going to have that typical career until he's 35, 36 years old. So. Uh, I think many of these younger guys that start at a very young age, uh, they, they tend to have shorter shelf lives almost. So I could see him, you know, running out of gas when he's like 32, 33, kind of a Wayne Rooney situation maybe. So with him being 28 at the end of uh, this campaign, he's turning 28 in June 2020. Uh, I, I think it would make sense for him to consider... Uh, making one final move abroad just to, you know, uh, get another experience. I mean, that's obviously a cliched way of looking at things. And, and certainly once players move and say, I wanted to make new experiences or whatever, or go on an, uh, go on an adventure or whatever, uh, that, that, that kind of sounds like a cliche. But the way I look at or the, the way I perceive Mario Götze's character, I think he's the kind of person, he's intelligent enough to actually take on that mindset of you know uh maybe i do want to see another part of the world maybe i do want to play in another league so this might be his last real opportunity at that so it makes sense for him to be a bit cautious uh with his contract extension uh also uh because we don't really know how Dortmund see him going forward i mean uh there's still a lot of talk about Dortmund adding a striker which would presumably eliminate Götze from the starting spot up front just because they are also raving about Paco Alcácer's uh, status after the summer break. So if they sign a striker, that's going to uh, push Götze into attacking midfield where uh, there's already uh, Reus and Julian Brandt presumably starting. So uh, this might just be uh the kind of thing where he wants to see what happens until the transfer window uh, slams shut on i think september 2nd this season in the bundesliga and 
maybe maybe that's kind of the 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 reason for the holdup. But generally speaking, I do expect him to extend his contract. Uh, also, because I don't think he has more value for another team than he has for Dortmund. Yeah, what do you what do you uh, want to see happen personally, Lars? Oh, I want him to sign a four or five yeah let's say four year deal so that puts him towards the end of his career and then uh he's going to be 32 at the end of that contract and then i guess it's going to be like a uh, move forward by one year each season kind of deal where you know you kind of have to assess uh individually how the player is looking after what at that point will have been a very long and hopefully even more successful career than it already has been Yeah, I I agree. I I think even though if if Götze does not extend his contract, that uh, he will not be sold. I I don't know. I I think Dortmund would not be well advised to let him go because I think there's also would... no market for him. Basically, no. I mean, no. But also, I I think he will play a key role even if he's not an automatic starter in, in every game. But given his his quality and his basically development gradually over the last season, where he really Im improved in in several positions, um, yeah, it would be a shame for this to not work out uh, in in the long term. To be honest, um, Constantine, I I think you very much agree on the whole Mario Götze scenario, and I personally would advise to not uh, read too much into these basically retail quotes that he gave Bild. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe it's just negotiation tactics with uh, Dortmund and maybe they want to, you know, uh, push him into a little bit of a, uh, in, the, in the contract with less pay. Um, so maybe that's something. And then, then he drops some quotes that maybe, you know, he wants to leave or something. And then they renegotiate the contract or so. I don't know. I don't know. Um, other than that, As Lars said, there isn't really a market for him right now. Um, since, like, like a natural destination for Mario Götze at this point would be like Arsenal, for instance. Uh, but Arsenal, they don't really have the money. They have, they, they have a transfer budget of 50 million or so for the summer. So good luck with, you know, getting Götze and uh, a few others. Um, so I don't think that will happen. So, yeah. I mean, un unless he, like, you know, And, and also, and also the perception of like Götze and his performance has changed so much. Even if he plays a great season or he has played a great second half of last season. Uh, but still, I mean, he's like a lot of people think that he's only a bench player at Dortmund and stuff like that. So I think perception has just pretty changed and a lot of people and even like, uh, people in the business are already hard on him um, these days for whatever reason, because I guess he disappointed a lot of people that they thought he would be the second coming of Messi or something. Um, so that's also something that that uh, is, is, uh, works against him, at least, to some extent. All right, fair enough. So um, if if we talk about the number nine position, the striker position, I think Hans-Joachim Watzke was, was quoted by uh, Ruhr recently that... Uh, He does not really see a need for an additional striker. He said that uh, apart from uh, Paco Alcacer, um, you know, there's there's still Jakob Brun Larsen. I, I don't think he mentioned Maximilian Philipp, but uh, Brun Larsen, Götze and uh, Torgen Hazard. And uh, I I don't know. I, I, I really thought that Dortmund were really on the hunt for another striker. I, I thought it would make sense, but... Uh, 
I don't know. Um, there is this uh, rumor of Moise Keane uh, floating around. <laughs> also the rumor of Mario Mandzukic, but I think that's uh, dead. Um, and Moise Keane, obviously, uh, I personally think there's also not too much to it. But regardless, um, Matthias, a, a quick assessment of that potential move. Well, I think uh, Moise Keane would be <laughs> a great addition. Uh, he's an extremely good player. Uh, I think it would also be good for him to get out of a league where there is uh, occasionally slightly toxic atmosphere in the stadium uh, when it comes to racism and things like that, which is very unfortunate. However, like you said, I don't really know if this is going to happen just down to the financials. I believe he's in the last year of his contract. Um, so, you know, he could be a little bit cheaper, but knowing that if he's on the market, an English club come in and offer way more wages than Dortmund would or should offer. I don't know if this is, I mean, it's on Transfermarkt, it's the hottest, uh, valued, um, rumor for a transfer coming to, to Dortmund, but only at 18%. That, so that doesn't mean shit. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean anything, but. The fact that that is at 80%, I mean, it just basically says it's probably not going to happen. Uh, would I like to see it happen? Sure. Why not? He's an incredibly good young player. And Dolma would probably buy him and then sell him for way more money. I wouldn't even be surprised if it would end up back at Juve. But um, I I don't really see that uh, coming to fruition. I did enjoy the fact that Alexander Nübel popped up on Transfermarkt as a tra uh, rumor to come to Dortmund. Not going to happen, but that just kind of made me smile. Yeah, the uh, Schalke goalkeeper, obviously. Uh, already, I, I think, too good for uh, Schalke to actually retain him. Uh, though I think Ralf Fehrmann uh, just joined Norwich or something. Anywho, yes. um, uh, not not our uh, thing though. I think we should mention that uh, Moritz Leitner and Timo Pocke recently scored to defeat Schalke in, in a friendly against Norwich, was, uh, which was also basically the uh, clash between the exes of Dortmund's uh, former under-23 coaches, Dave Wagner and uh, Mr. Farke. So, um, yeah. Um, any, anywho... Constantine, uh, you begged me that uh, you get a time slot about two to two minutes to thirty minutes to uh, pitch your idea of how Dortmund could uh, acquire strikers. So uh, off you go. Yes, uh, first option is uh, sign, signing Luca Waldschmidt and uh, shipping uh, Maxi Philipp back to Freiburg. That would be one. I think Luca Waldschmidt would uh, fit Dortmund quite well. I don't really see the um, Moise Kane uh, transfer happening uh, because Juve is um, they want they want or they require basically to have a, buy, a buyback uh, clause uh, in the transfer agreement. So basically, Dortmund would keep him for two years and then he would go back to Juve. I don't I don't really know if that's something Dortmund wants to do. Otherwise, although. Um, They did it with basically with Hakimi, so maybe that's something that that fits um, Dortmund's transfer strategy. But yeah, first Luca Waldschmidt. Uh, who, who else? Um, yeah, I'm 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 reading that uh, Kudrone is leaving Milan, so maybe there's something for Dortmund. No, I'm just I'm just uh, reading off some names. Uh, they crossed my mind. Um, actually, I I don't think Dortmund will sign any striker uh, or any additional striker this summer. 
and uh, the backup for Paco will be Ivor Götze or Jakob Poonlarsen, who, in my opinion, will only uh, have a really successful career, I mean really successful career, if he turns out to be a great number nine. That's 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 the path uh, Jakob Poonlarsen has to take to really be a standout player. Do you see it? Yes. Okay. All right. Basically, basically, something like a, um, I don't know. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of or plenty of uh, strikers, you know, uh, converted from being winger over to to number nine, and then you know he he he's some he's he's not like creative enough to be a uh, outstanding winger, but uh, he has the tendency to really pick his shooting spots. So uh, I guess that's that's a plus for being a number nine. Um, being a great center forward. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess that's that's his go-to path. And he was all, already tested by Farfra against uh, Liverpool, right? Yeah, I think so. I think he played up front, even though it was so fluid. It's hard to hard to uh, say who played. You're a, you're where. a trunk while watching, right? Yes. Uh, hence the fluidity Constantine yes, you are right such a genius. Anyway, uh, um, I I think did did you have any more uh, suggestions? No, good. All right. uh, Patrick Patrick Schick uh, from Roma, but he said that he wants to stay there. Um, so, good luck. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, not really. All right. So then, I think we can move on to a couple of listener questions and then get out of here. Um, at uh, Vingenius, or however it's pronounced, uh, also named David, he asks. Uh, is Nico Schulz the most underrated off-season transfer? Can't help but feel as though his versatility on the left is going to provide us with increased chance creation. Lars? Uh, I would say he's slightly underrated, but definitely the most under... I mean, apart of uh, apart from Morey, whom I'm not going to count because he was a free transfer, the uh, most underrated signing uh, by some distance, I would say, is actually Torgan Azar, uh, because A, he hasn't shown anything yet in two cameos uh, during the US trip and playing uh, at center forward, which is not his position. Uh, and also, I think, generally speaking, people kind of forgot what kind of season he had for Gladbach. I think we talked about it when the news broke that he did, in uh, did indeed sign for Dortmund. I mean... He had uh, double-digit goals and double-digit assists last season, which is something players outside of Bayern and uh, Dortmund rarely do in the Bundesliga. And he actually had more goals and assists than everyone in the league but Lewandowski, Reus and Sancho, I think. Maybe I'm missing someone, but can't be uh, too many people. Maybe Kimmich or so. Maybe Harvards. I don't think Kimmich scored enough. Um, so, I mean, he was in elite company while playing for a Gladbach side that self-destructed, uh, during the second half of the season. Obviously, he had a role to play in that elsewhere. I mean, I don't think he has been the most consistent player so far, but I think, uh, Azar, from a pure talent standpoint, is quite severely underrated by Dortmund fans at the moment. But to get back to uh, David's listener question, I think Schulz certainly is going to prove uh, a real asset for Dortmund. I mean, his athleticism is quite eye-popping. Uh, he's <laughs> he's going to uh, bring what Hakimi brought to the left-back position with more defensive brains, I would say, and generally a bit more solidity. Also, I mean, he's 26, Hakimi was 19, so I, I think Schultz is 26, might be 27, I don't know. 
so I mean, he's twenty six. That's that's to be expected, I guess, that he's going to be a more solid and dependable option uh, than Hakimi. So I think, even though we've kind of shed on uh, Nico Schulz for years on this podcast, uh, <laughs> I think Julian Nagels. Shout out to Luca Giel. <laughs> yeah, uh, Julian Nagelsmann kind of kind of turned him towards the light, and since then he's been really really good. So I think he's going to be uh, the solution to a left-back problem that has kind of existed since Marcel Schmelzer kind of fell off uh, the wagon a little bit. I mean, uh, we've talked about Lucien Favre's hard-to-understand aversion to playing Schmelzer, an actual left-back, but that's a discussion for another podcast, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm sure there will be more opportunities to discuss that particular subject. Um, Rob Conwell, who goes by the uh, Twitter handle at BakeCheetos09, he asks, I've been following the team since uh, 2013, so I'm a relatively new fan lately. I've been wondering what was the hype with Götze like when he was coming up through the youth system, Matthias? Oh jeez! I mean, uh, it asked, was. Is it comparable to uh, any players we have now in the youth or in the first team? Mm, no, no, I, I not that I can think of. I mean, we we're talking about him and and seeing him. But probably, honestly, the closest uh, when it comes from coming from the own uh, youth teams uh, was probably Christian Pulisic. Uh, was was the closest when it came to hype. Last Ricken. I'm talking about. Now, as yeah. far as anything, because he said he's a recent fan, probably Las Ricken doesn't necessarily mean much to a very recent fan. But I will agree with you, Las Ricken, because uh, I'm I'm not, you know, I mean, he's a year older than me, so we're cool. But <laughs> I remember when he came through, because all of us that were of that basic same age as teenagers at the time, um, in the mid '90s, it was kind of like, hey, you know, I mean, there's a kid from Dortmund, who's our age, and we're from the greater general area, at least. That's really cool. Um, so I, I can imagine it was very similar for other kids that same age when Götze was coming up. But you heard a lot about him. You saw glimpses of him. And then he kind of exploded on the scene. And um, in recent times, I would, the only one that really comes to mind is uh, Christian Pulisic. Um, so... But uh, the the big difference is Christian Pulisic will never score a World Cup winning goal, ever. No, Un unless he uh, goes through a gender change. I don't think that's uh, on the cards for him. Um, no, but on honestly, I think that it's it's really hard to compare um, Götze to Pulisic, even because at least for me personally, I'm I'm just talking for my for myself here for for a minute. Is that. Um, I, I thought that he really was going to be the superstar for Dortmund for years and years to come. And uh, obviously, it was quite heartbreaking to see him go go to Bayern Munich. But uh, as he came through the ranks, I don't think there was an excitement about any other player that I, I felt coming through the youth ranks. So um, I think the hype was very, very real. He was basically one of the, the faces of the team that almost every fan cherished, you know, the quote-unquote one-of-us players even though there were also Großkreuz and, 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 and Reus at some point so it was a overall I think a team where a lot of fans could find a lot of different players to identify with I mean fan favorites were Blaschikowski, Pischek still and and uh, Subotic and 
yeah so um but but still i think Götze was always regarded as a very special player so um yeah it's it's hard to describe it but i i think the the hype was uh, very true indeed so um yeah but anyway thanks for for the uh, question um the sandman at mark finke he asked besides the league what's more important reaching the cup final in berlin or getting as far as possible in the champions league constantine um I mean, I guess a deep Champions League run because it gives you. And that's like the, the weird thing about the German Cup is that um, I mean, it is, it's it's a great thing for mid-tier smaller clubs to you know get to the finals or something, or for a second division club to get to the semi-finals. Um, but for the um, for a club like Dortmund or Bayern, I mean, it's great to win it. Uh, it's a great. F- thing for the fans because um it's tremendous atmosphere in berlin um during the you know lead up day and then during during the saturday of the the final uh but as a club overall it's much more much much more important especially for a club like dortmund to get a deep one into a champions league maybe you know reaching quarterfinal or even semi-finals because it it just increases your reputation uh so much for uh, advertisement deals for um, transfer market, you know, for players who who are high up there on the higher uh, um, you know parts of the shelf, and you want to attract them, and then you you know have something uh, some arguments on your side, while other clubs like Manu- Manchester United, for instance, you know who don't get anywhere close to the semi-finals of Champions League right now. They have to pay a lot of money, while Dortmund can't pay the kind of money, but maybe can make the argument that you know we are an up-and-coming club. We are we are challenging the top the top clubs of Europe. And uh, just look at our recent season. We went to the semi-finals or something. That's just increases your your um, entire image as a club so much. And I think Dortmund, um, you know. Um, had, had so much benefit from the uh, 2013 and 2014 Champions League years, actually. All right. Next question comes from Con, who uh, goes by the Twitter handle at Gotchak. And he asks, uh, or she, <laughs> the uh, Rosa is inflated and there will be starting caliber players on the bench every game. Do you think we will see more, in parentheses, will for a rotation this year from Favre or the same forced injury rotation we saw last season last? Uh... I don't know. I mean, <laughs> first of all, I want to point out that Manchester United actually made the uh, quarterfinals last season when Dortmund didn't. So uh, that's that. Uh, I think it helps uh, that in the Bundesliga you can now put uh, two additional players on the bench for uh, or include them in your matchday squad. So I think, especially for younger guys like maybe Morey or even Balerdi, uh, it's it, or Raschel, for example, uh, that might be an additional opportunity here and there if, if a game is uh, uh, already done and dusted or out of reach or whatever. Uh, there might be more opportunities to just throw the kids out there for a couple of minutes here and there. But generally, knowing a little bit about Lucien Favre and the the risk averse nature or character of most coaches, and he's especially risk-averse, I think he's going to, for the most part, have his typical, you know, inner circle containing maybe 16, 17 guys who will play the most uh, or get most minutes and then, you know, injuries, suspensions, uh, individual Belastungssteuerung, uh, as we say in German, so managing, you know, the, the strain on players doing a long or, and, and they hope, uh, 
stressful season. Uh, I think that's going to be still more or less uh, the same as last season. All right. And last question comes from uh, our dear friend Abel Mecheros. And uh, he asks uh, thoughts on Balerdi uh, over under of minutes he played this season. Uh, I would give him an over under of uh, 350 minutes. Uh, any objections to that? Too much. I, I too 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 much all right maybe 300 <laughs> i i'm factoring in dortmund's uh, injury malaise at, at center back so this is where i'm coming from but um yeah also he asks would you sell the hood right now and for how much matthias um yes and at any price all right so one euro a ham sandwich It's it's lunchtime here right now, so I I would take a ham sandwich for him right now. To be honest, that's a good deal. I'll take it. So no five guys. Um, no. Do you do you think it, it's a big problem that the team goes to five guys during the preseason? Um, no, not at all. I don't care. It's so they have a burger. I you know as as um controlled as diets are and stuff like that uh, you know and I, th i thought your tweet was pretty funny I, i think it was you right with the thomas tucker face yes um and but at the same time it's like okay so so they had a burger it's not a big deal when i think about uh how long mario basla played football and he was a smoking and drinking almost during games so uh i'm not that who cares All right, all right. So um, thanks to you all for coming on. Um, Constantine, uh, please tell all listeners where they can uh, reach you on Twitter and please tell me how exactly to read your articles since uh, I'm still guilty of not doing that. Sure. I mean, they can only find me on Twitter, nowhere else. Um, handle is cc underscore eckner. And that's where you can also find links to my articles. You can open them, actually. Huh. You can okay. click on them. Yes, yes. And I know you're on YouTube this entire thing, but that's that's how it works. All you. right. Thank you. Thank you also to uh Constantine's fan for not going off during the podcast. I'm already rejoicing. Um also thank you, Lars, for coming on. Uh how can people get in touch with you? Uh they can touch me on Twitter at Lars Polman. Very well. Matthias, how can you be touched? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> you can reach me um on twitter at matthiasuk very well also to you thank you for coming on and uh, you can find me of course at stefan Butzko on twitter if you want to get in touch with the yellow wallpot in general do that also at yellow wallpot on either twitter or facebook if you want to subscribe to the show please go to itunes soundcloud stitcher and all the other podcatchers that you can find. I think our RSS feed is on the page on yellowwallpot.com where you now can also find more written content thanks to myself, I guess. So um, please go there and check that out. And uh, if you want to help uh, monetize that content, go and download the One Football app and choose Borussia Dortmund as your favorite team. That would be also swell. And uh, I think that's all for now for this week. Until the next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye.